Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the beautiful truths that we have sang together. God, all glory and honor is yours. We're not giving it to you. We, We more and more are recognizing that it's yours. You are utterly and completely worthy of our worship. So, Father, I pray that as we turn our attention to this portion of your word, God, you would be honored. Father, we would have a heightened sense of your holiness and your majesty and your kindness towards us. So we love you, Lord. Pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Unfortunately, a mistake is made all the time in our culture and actually in our world. The mistake is when somebody thinks that the instrument will make the man or the woman. The instrument is the answer. The instrument's the key. The instrument is what will change everything. When I say instrument, I don't just mean musical instrument, but I mean the the thing that you're using. I've played blues guitar for 20 years this month, and I'm not very good. Over those years, I've honed a lot of guitars of differing quality. My very first Fender Stratocaster was made by a company named Squire. It's a little offshoot of Fender. The Squire guitar is one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, Fender-type guitars you can purchase. You can buy a Fender Bullet series for about 125 bucks, something like that. That was my first guitar, was a Fender, or a Squire. And I remember thinking, yeah, it's kind of nice, but it's not a Fender. It's not a real, genuine Fender Stratocaster. Well, a number of months ago, I heard a guy named Jack Pearson pick up a Squire Stratocaster. 
and it sounded better than anything I could ever do on an American-made Fender Stratocaster. And as I listened to the quality, he played for the Allman Brothers for a little while. As I listened to the quality of his playing, this came to my mind. The instrument does not, it, it doesn't make the man. What it does, the instrument does, is it reveals the quality and the capability of the person. God's about to call Abraham, who will be an instrument in the hand of God. And our minds pretty naturally rush to the instrument and say, look at that instrument. I want to be more like that instrument, don't you? And to some level, at some point, that kind of talk isn't wrong and makes some sense. But we take it way too far when we when we need to back up and remind ourselves the instrument is there to reveal the ability and the power of the one using the instrument. And so it's Abraham's God that we should be enthralled with. It's Abraham's God that we should be amazed by. Not necessarily this feeble, weak human being that God is going to be using powerfully, just in an incredible ways through Abraham, through Abraham's family, through Abraham, the seed that will come from his family, all throughout redemptive history. So for today, I want to look at the call of this instrument, God's selection of this instrument for his good purpose. So first, Abraham called out from the world. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. If you remember from last week, Abram was a man who, in in, um, the Ur of Chaldees and then moving to Haran with his family, Terah being his father, Sarai being his wife, we're told that his family worshipped foreign gods, a, a pagan practice going on among the family of Abraham. Why is that important? I think that's important because it doesn't appear that God selected the best of the best. God didn't necessarily go and say, I need the best person I can get so that way that person can receive glory and honor. No, rather what God does often, always, I would argue, is he picks those that he can best reflect and show his glory through. So God comes and sovereignly chooses Abraham for this task. That is a principle that must be recognized in this portion of Scripture, that God sovereignly decides who he's calling and who he's going to be in covenant with, specifically Abram. God created him, God made him, God knows who he is, and God has selected Abram for this task. And so God comes to him, and he says one simple word attached with, a de- with more explanation, go. If you notice in the, in the passage, now the Lord said to Abram, go. Now, to hear that, it's kind of like, wow, if the Lord said go, go. But, but just stop for a second and consider what he's saying to Abraham here. Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So number one, I want you to leave all your family, I want you to leave your country, I want you to leave everybody, leave all of that, 
And then I want you to go to a land, but I'm not going to tell you which land. I'm just going to tell you eventually when we get there, I'll show you what land. But for now, it's a complete mystery. Pack up. Now, we've touched on this same kind of concept before, guys, when we saw with Noah and building of the ark, right? The Lord comes and says, a great flood's coming. I want you to build an ark. And as you build that ark, I will show you this flood eventually. But for now, by faith, walk. And much in the same way here with Abraham, by faith, walk. God sovereignly selects Abram, beckons him, calls him to leave country, kindred, father's house, and go to a land that I'll reveal to you. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like personally being called to go do something when I'm not told what it's going to be like when I get there. Uh, Some folks like that kind of mystery. I don't like that mystery. When my brothers would say, hey, come here, we have something to show you. Not on your life. I don't like that. Um, Tell me why. (laughs) I can remember so many times. Tell me why I'm coming over there. I want to know why I'm coming over there. Beloved, Abraham does not do that. Abraham doesn't say why, where, how long. All the questions that would naturally come to my mind. No, rather, Abraham is called by the Lord And the Lord explains to him what he has for him. Um, Look down at chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I underlined it in my Bible just to have it stand out of the passage for me, but just look at that. Follow the I wills in the passage. I will, I will, I will. I will show you. I'll show you that land. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you become a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who dishonor you. Notice in this passage, he said to Abram, go, and I will do this. I will do that. I will, I will continue doing this. This is God entering into this covenantal relationship with Abraham. I don't think this is the exact portion of Scripture where we see the quote-unquote Abrahamic covenant, but it's a foreshadowing. It's a foretelling. He's, he's telling him, This is the relationship we are now developing together, Abram. You and God, we are developing this. And these are all the blessings and all the things I plan on doing through you. And again, stop in your tracks and just back off for a second and say, why Abram? And our minds so quickly want to look at him and find something special about him so that way we can say, he deserved this. But the fact is, beloved, you can't do that. You can't find that. Abram was not better than anyone else. Abram was not more deserving than this covenant. God, in his grace, made this decision and says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And Abraham's called to walk in obedience to this command on his life from the living God. To which he does. Abraham walks in obedience. 
And so God is not simply calling him away. And this is what is so interesting, guys, is that he's not simply saying, go away. He's giving them to go some, to, he's giving them a place to go to. So it's, I'm calling you out of this, and I'm calling you into this. Now that's key if you think about the whole concept of redemption throughout human history. This is a beautiful illustration of the salvation that we have um, received from the Lord. I've called you out of this, but I'm not just leaving you in neutral. I'm calling you to something as I call you out of something. So, Abraham, uh, Abram, I'm, I'm calling you away from the Ur of Chaldees. I'm calling you away from your family. I'm calling you away from your kindred. The pagan worship that was going on there, I'm taking you out of this. Go away from that. Go to a land that I, I'll show you where the land is. And on your way to that land, continually throughout redemptive history, I will bless you, I will make a great nation of you, and I will bless all the families of the earth through you. Lots of questions I would have had in my, in my mind if I were Abram and the Lord came and said this and beckoned me to this and then told me, these are the promises that I promise you will receive from me. But notice those I wills. The reason that pops out of the text for me is because it's just so God's doing, God's pursuit, God's work, God's accomplishment, God's task, his promise of what he will accomplish through Abraham, not the instrument, the one using the instrument. It's not the guitar. It's the guitar player. All the families of the earth will eventually be blessed through Abraham. If you look down at, the, at this passage, uh, pick up verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that I will be, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's interesting if you stop and think about what he just told Abraham. In light of the context of what we looked at two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I will make your name great. That should spark a, a, a reminder to, to all of us. Remember the Tower of Babel? In the city of Babel, the people there decided, we're going we're gonna to build this huge city, and I got an idea. Let's build this massive tower within the city, so that way we will not be forgotten, and we will make a great name for ourselves. Right? You remember that a few weeks ago? We'll make a great name for ourselves through our achievement. And then the Lord disrupted their languages, they scattered, and they looked foolish and scattered throughout the world. Now, what's fascinating about that is that their desire was to make their name great. Abraham, he will, his name will be great, but not because he pursued that or because that's the drive. His drive is to, to serve and honor the Lord. The Lord blessed Abraham, will bless Abraham. Abraham's focus was not to be seen as something not to be held up in this high honor like those in Babel. Interesting contrast when you see the two different motivations within the two different groups. Seventy-five years old. If you drop down to verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. 
And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. Abram Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The fascinating fact of this, throughout this whole passage to me, is never in the passage does Abraham question. You see that? Nowhere does Abraham say, God, are you sure? Did you make a mistake? Is this really for me? What if I don't want to go? He never questions, but he walks in faith. Abraham went. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. We'll be right back in chapter 12, but Hebrews chapter 11. And it's interesting... um, tracking Hebrews 11 as we walk through Genesis together, because you see these little touchstones in in Hebrews 11 talking about these of faith throughout the book of Genesis. Look at verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. And so now this is what's what's so awesome is you take the book of Galatians, you take the book of Romans, you take the book of Hebrews, And you ask the question, what was going on in the mind and heart of Abraham as he walked in obedience to God's call? Well, it says very clearly, he had faith in the promises of God. Now, this is what's so interesting is that God didn't give him a hint necessarily of what it would look like or the journey, making that journey all the way to Canaan, some 400 miles. He didn't tell him that. He he simply said, go to a land that I will show you. And here's the blessings that will come out of this. And Abraham's response was immediate obedience to the call of God with faith in his heart to the promises of God. Faith works, okay? Um, I'm not going to turn there, but James chapter 2, remember that passage, so classic where it says, show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Abraham is showing his faith in the promises of God by his actions, by what he's doing here. Abraham was accompanied by Lot, Sarai, and the people that they had acquired. My guess is he was a wealthy man, and those were servants that were traveling along with them, those he acquired. The fact that he had acquired people most likely points to wealth. 
that Abraham had gained much wealth. God, God had called this guy to walk away from everything that was normal, to walk in obedience to what he was calling him to, with nothing but the bare word of God to trust him. Now, <clears throat> that, that sounds, in this context, as we believers are gathering together, that, that idea of just trusting the word of God is what we say in this building. It's what we say around other Christians. It's what we, what we talk about. But when it really boils down, this is tough. When all the circumstances seem to go against what God's word is saying, and you follow it anyways, and every unsaved person around you is scratching their head, and some saved people around you are scratching their head, this is where the sovereign king of the universe empowers us to walk in obedience to his word. Where you are very strange for moving forward because you believe what the word has said. Stop and think about this point. God has called him to pick up and leave all that was home to him. Then he's called to head for a place that God will reveal to him eventually. That word eventually has been ringing in my ears. It's like the Lord saying, I want you to leave everything, pack everything up, and then go to this land that I will show you, and eventually you will see my promises come true. What about that gap of time between when you told me to go and when I'm going to experience it? What do I do then? You trust me. You trust me. Walk in obedience from Shechem to the oak of Morah, then into the land and dwelt by the Canaanites, a land that was indwelt by the cursed son of Ham, and approximately some 400-mile trip to go to this land in obedience to the Lord. God gave, gives all of us every reason to trust his promise. This is a point that is very, very important. I don't know what it is, call it sin, call it struggles, call it just lack of trust, when God's word is clear, but we still find ourselves at a wrestling match in our soul to walk in obedience. Because it just is hard, it, doesn't, it goes against the culture, it doesn't fit, and there's a part of you that goes, ah, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm wrestling with this. Beloved, God has given us every single reason in the world to believe his word, to trust his word, to trust his promises. If I tell somebody, I promise it will happen, you have a good reason not to believe me. Because <laughs> I'm a mere man who can't promise, who can't guarantee, who can't tell you this is exactly how it's going to be. But when you are omniscient and omnipotent, in control of all things, and you say, this is my word, and this is how it will be. Not only that, but you have a track record of him being completely, totally faithful to every promise he's ever made. Now you're starting to grasp, now we're starting to grasp our an ability to trust his word and walk in the promises of God. Even if it doesn't make sense in that moment, still what the word says. I remember my dad has said over the years, 
but it's what the word says. I can, I can see his face saying, yeah, okay, okay, but it's what the word says. And at some point, beloved, in this life, we have to say, yeah, 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 I, I hear you, I hear you, I get all of your arguments, but it's what the word says. And I wonder at times, Abraham, as he's traveling a weird trip, and he's got this big caravan of people coming with him, and his wife is barren. She's incapable of having kids, and she's been promised, you're going to have nations come from you. And you go, Abraham, what are you thinking? It's what the word says. There had to have been times, you guys, where Abraham found a uh, uh, he found his equilibrium. He found his, his stability. No, it's, it's what he said. And I trust him. I trust him. And I, I want to follow that. And he does. God sustains this man throughout this. And he walks in faith. And then you come again to your New Testament, and he's held up as a beautiful picture of one who walked in faith. Now, without error, we're going to see he, he lied. We're going to see that he is still a mere sinful, fallen human being in need of grace, just like you, just like me. But nonetheless, a man who walked by faith through grace. By grace through faith. So if you would... Um, drop down with me and look at verse, uh, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. And this is very interesting because up to this point, we've seen the Lord certainly speak to, other, uh, to Noah. It says, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. We're told that he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. I don't know exactly what that looked like or how that experience was for those two. But this word, specifically, he appeared to them. He came to Abraham. God is is coming specifically to this man whom he will call his friend and revealing himself to him, and he gives him this piece of information. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Now, this promise of all that Abraham has been hearing and following and obeying and walking in. God appears, meets with him, says, the land you're at, I'm going to be giving this to your offspring. Now remember, every time he said offspring, he's saying it to a guy whose wife is incapable of having children. This is an impossible task. Uh, Humanly speaking, from the world's perspective, this is an impossible task. He's talking about nations coming from these two. He's 75 years old. He's going to be a lot older eventually when he has, has Isaac. And, and here in the passage, with a barren wife, God is saying, your offspring's going to have this property here. I can't help but think of potential discouragement that would be there in his life. Think about this for just a second. He's called out of the world by God. Here are some powerful, potential things that could have really put him in a, in a scary place, emotionally. Having to leave home and family. 
believing God's promise when his wife was barren. A long, difficult journey to this land that he doesn't know where he's going and the Lord has not told him yet. Seeing nothing materialize of God's promises as he walks in obedience. And possible ridicule from others as he departed. Okay, so just think about that little grocery list of potential deterrence from him walking in obedience and then ask this question. What trips us up in America as Christians from walking in obedience? Does the list look as that powerful? Or are we a little soft? Just think about it. What, what causes you to stumble in your walking in obedience to the Lord right now in this world? This neighbor won't like me if I say anything about Jesus. I could get fired. If I don't, speaking of me, if I, if I don't perform this particular wedding for these two people, there could be a lawsuit, and I'll get in hot water pretty quick. We could lose our 501c3, our, our tax-exempt status as a local church in America. We start thinking about those things. We go, are those deterrents from our obedience? I don't want to lose this family member. I don't want to be spoken of badly by this person over here. A good portion of our fear and and what is a deterrent from us to walk in obedience in this country right now has to do with just being socially disliked, which I'm, I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm right there with you. I don't want that either, but I'm saying we are pathetic if that is really driving us away from obedience to the Lord. When in other parts of our world right now, if somebody in that government finds out this particular person is a Christian who has been involved in secret Bible studies, may lose his life, be tortured, have their children taken away from them, and it doesn't, it doesn't deter them from obedience. And so as I look at Abraham and God says, I want you to go to this land, I'll show you where the land is, but I'm not going to materialize what you're going to be getting it's going to be a long journey and possibly ridicule from people all around why you're doing this and you're leaving everything that is normal for a promise that you will never see actualized in its fullest extent in your lifetime. Do you go? Do you walk in obedience? Do you second-guess the Lord? No, by God's grace, Abraham walked by faith, not by sight. He did not lean heavy on that which he saw. He leaned heavy on the character, the quality and the honesty and the character of the living God. And while he did it, this is a really neat piece of this, of what happened here with Abraham. While he did it, he worshiped on the journey. Notice after the Lord appeared to him, what was his first response? The very first thing that he wanted to do after God appeared to him and told him, this land will be given to your offspring, his response is to construct an altar. A desire to worship is what is in the heart of of this man in this moment. Not a desire to bellyache and whine, but a desire to worship, 
to honor the living God, to build an altar in order to give a sacrifice to the Lord, to show him, I truly do worship you. You are of the greatest value. Don't, remember, don't forget, guys, the reason as those Old Testament sacrifices, those were not being done for redemption purposes. Nobody was born again or saved or justified before God by killing an animal. Just read through the book of Hebrews, spells it out very clearly. Rather, what's being done when those sacrifices are being made is that they are showing God, you are of more value than this animal. It would, it, you know, we, in our, in our world, our currency, we have these, these paper dollars and some of these, these coins, and we give those as a way of saying, God, you are of more value. Or we give our time saying, Lord, you, have, you are of more value than my time. We find different ways. Well, at this time, as they sacrificed these animals, they took the best animal they could, spotless, and they sacrificed that animal before the Lord saying, Father, you are enough. You are all that I need and that I want. You are of far more value than any possession I have, so I give it to you. I give it back to you. It's not even mine. It's yours. And so I present it back to you, Father, the one who gave it to me in the first place. And so verse 8 says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, a second altar, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So he's still on this journey, that concept. I love that phrase. He presses on. And as he's on this journey, he has a heart filled with worship for the Lord, walking in the promise of God, walking in faith and trust in that promise of the living God. Now, let me draw something, your attention back to a piece here, if if you would look with me. This is a very fascinating part of this text. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And, here's the phrase, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. This is one of those where we just scratch our head a little bit and wonder, okay, so time out, how... How will all the families of the earth, all the nations, all, how, what blessing will come from Abraham to them? Now, uh, one secondary blessing, but a big one, is that God will reveal his character. He'll reveal himself through his interactions with Israel to the nations. Throughout, throughout the redemptive history, God's dealings with Israel, he'll be giving them the law. He'll be revealing himself to them and showing the world himself by his interactions with Israel. Now, the interesting part about that, you guys, is that if you read the majority of your Old Testament, you will find out the majority of God's interaction with Israel is rebuke and correction. Just sit down and read Jeremiah and Isaiah. And as you read through those two, you'll say, wow, (laughs) that is a very harsh rebuke, sharp rebuke. Some of the illustrations and the word pictures that he uses to, to condemn them for their idolatry. But nonetheless, God is still revealing his character through his dealings with the nation of Israel, which is a great blessing. And we would have to certainly recognize that. But ultimately, this blessing is the blessing that would come through the seed of Abraham, 
namely the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I will admit right off the bat before I even read it, this passage is not a very easy one to fully grasp. And I still struggle with some pieces to just exactly what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. But verse 7. Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. All right, now, let, let, me, let me do a little bit of construction here real quick before I jump into this. The whole concept of Galatians, I don't know who was here for that preaching series, who wasn't here for that, but that's okay. The book of Galatians has to be doing with the purity of the gospel. There's a group of people, uh, false teachers called the Judaizers, trying to steer the churches in Galatia away from the purity of the gospel of salvation in Jesus alone, and they're trying to say you have to be circumcised, you have to be following the law, so on and so forth. Basically, you have to be kind of a Christian, but still follow those Old Testament laws. And then when you combine that together, you have redemption. That's how somebody gets saved. That's the false teaching flooding in these churches. The Apostle Paul is combating that powerfully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shutting down their case. And what he's doing specifically in this passage is he's saying, and here's why, because the Judaizers would go back and say, we're from the line of Abraham, God chose Abraham, therefore, since God chose Abraham and we're in the line of Abraham, we're very special. Same argument scribes and Pharisees made to Jesus back in John chapter 8, we are of the children of Abraham. Jesus says, if you were of the children of Abraham, you do the deeds of Abraham, telling them, you're not the children of Abraham. Well, then who's a child of Abraham? Look at the passage. Know this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now catch this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What passage? Where did, where, where did he preach the gospel to Abraham? Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, that's, that's vitally important, beloved, for our understanding of redemptive history, God's design, God's plan, God's use of Israel, bringing in the Gentiles, all that, because he's saying specifically in that promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, in you, every family, every nation will be blessed, he's saying refers to Christ. But the interesting part is that this was not just a Jewish promise, not just a promise made to Abraham and to the Jews, not just to Israel, because all those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. I, uh, Father Abraham had many sons. You might know this. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. All right, so... <clears throat> Drop, so now if you look, um, verse 9, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And as I've said in weeks past, the New Testament writers are the inspired interpreters of the Old Testament. This is not the Apostle Paul being willy-nilly and plucking something out of context from the Old Testament and slapping it down 
for his own good purpose. This is the sovereignty of God in the inspiration of Scripture, using this man to rightly interpret what God was planning to do through Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And the unity of the Scripture is immense. And so, beloved, perhaps, I don't know, but maybe, Maybe when I started reading in Genesis chapter 12, you didn't find yourself in that passage. You better believe you're in that. If you are in Christ, you are in Abraham. That's not me saying that. That's what the book of Galatians says. Point being, you are blessed by the offspring of Abraham through the Lord Jesus. So let me... Uh, just wrap up and, and close in prayer with this. I thought this was very interesting. If you compare what's taking place in the life of Abraham and what's taken place in our lives spiritually, it makes for an incredible illustration. Called out of the world by God. God plucked him out of that world. Directed him where to go. Not fully realized promises were made called to walk in obedience to God's word on that journey, patiently awaiting the fulfillment of all the promises made to him, at times leaving your family, being called away from your family, and being called to the Lord, leading your family with you by God's word, and worshiping throughout the journey as you walk in obedience to God's word. Truly, we are called to live by faith and not by sight. As you see the life of Abraham, beloved, I I recognize fully that it's not about the instrument, but about the one using the instrument. He shows his power and might through this man. But he also sits there as a beautiful example to you and to me. Beloved, this this is our story as well as believers. As disciples of Jesus Christ, you've been called out of this world, you've been made new, you've been handed the word of God, promises have been made to you. Now walk in obedience and live a life of worship as you walk through that life of obedience, ultimately resulting in the glory and the joy of a a fulfilled promise from the sovereign king. That's where you are right now. And the word that... Is, comes to my mind is unworthy. Because as I look at his selection and his call and his use of Abraham, I can't help but think of Dan. I would not pick me. I would not use me. I would not select. I wouldn't do that. But God in his power and in his grace shines forth through broken vessels. And I am so grateful he does. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the immense power and, Father, design that becomes more and more evident the more we study your word of what you are accomplishing. And, Lord, I praise your name for that. I thank you for that, Lord. And I am so grateful, Father, that I that I have been born again. That I stand righteous because of what Jesus did. And Lord, that truth 